Shalom, Mishpocha. Shalom, family. Mishpocha is a Hebrew word, means family, and we're the Mishpocha, the family with a Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people, where the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile, it's finally come down to form one new man. Getting ready, Mishpocha, to blow the grandest shofar, the grandest trumpet in Zion. We want everyone everywhere to hear the good news. We want everyone everywhere to realize the Jewish person that has crossed your path is not an accident. God wants you to demonstrate his kingdom through signs and wonders and love them to Jesus. Now, as far as I'm concerned, the subject we're about to embrace this week is one of the most important that you will ever, ever hear for intimacy with God, for walking in the spirit more than the flesh. Uh, my guest has been a guest previously. His name is Kerry Kirkwood. And Kerry, I was reminded when I was a new believer, I got saved in the 70s, there was a very wealthy businessman. He, as a matter of fact, I remember he had 12 million dollar companies and he said his key was not his business knowledge his key was he was a worshiper of god and every morning he would get up and worship god well we all heard what he said we all wanted the same thing for ourselves but he never broke it down and spelled it out, what is worship? Where does worship actually begin, in your opinion? Well, in, in uh, Ezekiel, the 47th chapter, where Ezekiel's having this vision, and the river uh, starts out, you know, he's at the, at the ankles and keeps getting deeper and deeper as it goes along, and, and Ezekiel says that uh, there was that they were measuring this river, but it starts in the threshold of God, the throne room of God. And so the river is, is a good symbol to look at in terms of worship. It moves, it has flowing, but it starts at the throne of God. I know that most of us think that worship starts, it's about us and how we feel about God, but worship when it comes from Him and He puts it inside of us, and then we're giving it back to Him and blessing Him and loving Him that only... The, the way that we could be anointed by the Holy Spirit. Because he says in John 4, when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman, that though true worshipers, and the word true, the aletheia, means the manifested reality, the way God sees it. So he says the true worshipers, those who worship the way God wants them to, will worship by spirit and in truth. And so in John 16, the Holy Spirit's called the spirit of truth. And when he comes, he said uh, he'll guide us into all truth. So I, I see that the, the Holy Spirit helps us to worship in spirit because he's guiding it, us into the reality of who God is and how he wants to be worshipped. Now, you're obviously, uh, and I know this, a worshiper of God. But one thing that I wondered, you keep coming up with cutting-edge revelation from the scriptures. We've interviewed you several times. And in fact, I told Janie, I don't like to interview the same person again. I like variety. I like different people. But you just keep coming up with revelation. How connected is your worship with the revelation you get from the Word of God? Oh, it's one and the same. 
because uh, we know that John 9.31 says, we know that God hears not sinners, and he's not talking about those who call on salvation because he's speaking to believers. We know that God hears not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper, and it's the, it's the Greek word of proskuneo, which means to bow and to kiss, not just talking about singing a song, that, that God hears him. So wait, let me get this. What I'm what I'm hearing you say is when most people hear the word worship, they think what happens before the message on Sunday morning. Uh, you're saying that's very little of it. Exactly. That's they call it the worship hour, the worship service, but there could very well be no worship in that time and yet the music is grand, the uh, the technique and the technology and the sound systems is all wonderful. And yet we're singing words off a screen, and I have that in my own church, and we love doing that. But worship is, is, is in the heart that comes from, from the throne of God to our heart, and we're giving it back to Him. And for me, when I'm worship, I just start worshiping the Lord in my daily time with Him, and I have a pad and pen with me there. And as I worship Him, all of a sudden there is this dialogue that comes back to me, and He starts rehearsing to me things in the Scripture that I never thought of before, uh, nor I, in fact, I'd have to go back and study them and say, wow, it was. That was exactly what I heard in worship. And most of the things that I preach, I get in times of worship, because he's the one that inspired or wrote the book. It was all the Scriptures were breathed by God. And so in worship, there becomes this dialogue to where he starts interpreting by it back through us, because the Spirit of Truth, the Holy Spirit, is worshiping the Father through us. When did you start getting the revelation to even be a worshiper of God? Well, when I was younger, I would uh, I'd hear my mother, who has a great influence in my life, and she would worship even before I had time to go to school. I, I was of school age. And she would be worshiping, and I would hear her, because I knew nothing was going to happen that day until she had had her worship time and prayer time. And I remember that as she was worshiping one day, and we lived uh, in a place to where that people opened their windows during the summer and, and got the cool air in and, and uh, got the hot air out. And so she was worshiping, and at her funeral, I had a, uh, our next-door neighbor gave us this testimony that I would hear your mother worshiping God and said I would go out near where there was, the people put the trash out on the edge of the curb, and she said I could hear your mother and that day when she was worshiping, it just drew me in that I heard her call my name before the Lord. And she said, after she'd worshiped, Lord, I'm asking you that you would save this young girl and draw her to you. And I didn't know this until at the funeral that she stood up and said, that day when I was out at the trash can, I bowed my head and I gave my heart to Jesus. But it was the worship that drew me into, because the Bible says it's the goodness of God that draws people to repentance. And so worship was, was the powerful effect that drew her in, and it was what I had always heard her worshiping the Lord, and so it was part of my life. Tell me, uh, just, just kind of uh, briefly, tell me, what are the benefits for us to worship God? Uh, as if we need a benefit, we don't need any benefits. I mean, he deserves our worship. However, what is the benefit of worshiping God? Well, first of all, Psalms 91, which is we're all familiar with, talking about when we're under the shadow of the Almighty God, that 
that literally that dome, if you will, in my mind, a picture of that of the presence of God. And he says, there the, the terror won't find you, the enemy won't find you, there's a protection there in the presence of God. And so when we worship the Lord, there is this interaction between God and man that doesn't happen in any other way. And, and as we were created to worship, because God made it to where that he wanted worship, it is, it is our value that we give to him. And so when we do that, uh, there's a powerful anointing that comes even in the areas of warfare dealing with spiritual enemies. Uh, give me an example in your own life of how you were supernaturally protected due to the fact you're a worshiper of God. Well, there's the, when I, I remember one day I was on a trip and I was just worshiping the Lord, and I just had this sense that the Lord just told me uh, to slow down and move over uh, in another lane. And I thought, oh, okay, well, I thought maybe I was just kind of being a little spooky there. But anyway, when I did that, and I came over the hill, and there was a truck that had kind of crossed the line, and it would have, I would have been sideswiped. So I knew in the presence of God in worship that, that the Lord touches us in such a way that, uh, that delivers us from evil. Uh, tell me briefly about the time you were in another country in a hut. Oh, yeah. I was in uh, Cartago, uh, Costa Rica, and it was a small little uh, uh, little church, about 30 people. And, of course, there's the, the doors open, the windows open, and, and uh, I, could, I was standing up preaching, and I would look throughout the back of the church and the door, and there was a man that kept getting closer, and he'd back away and he'd come closer. And I remember he had this giant beer bottle, large, I don't know, I've never seen a beer bottle that large. And he started saying things in Spanish, and he hollered. He was threatening me and threatening everyone there. And so, as we just, so I just stopped and I said, "Lord, I thank you that you are the God of all might and all power, and I bless your name as the Lord who keeps us in covenant and mercy." And I pointed that man and I said, "In the name of Jesus, you will not cross this line. This is the presence of God, holy ground." And when I did that, he, he raised that bottle, and he started to throw it, and it was like someone caught his hand, and he couldn't move that bottle past the threshold of that door. Instead, he turned and ran, and I could see him. He probably ran about 10 or 15 yards and then threw the bottle out into the street of the, of the, of the town there. Now, now, if you could see in the Spirit... What do you believe was going on with that man when he reared back like a, a, a baseball pitcher to throw that bottle at your head? Well, I think he was wanting to intimidate the people that were there uh, because it was getting ready to make a, a call for salvation, and he was there to disrupt. And uh, we'd love for him to have, if they hadn't have been so demonized, we'd had an opportunity to deliver him, but that wasn't the case. But he was there to create a diversion, if you will. But in the presence of God, Psalm 16 says there's fullness of joy. And there wasn't a fear in my heart at all towards him or what he would do, but the sense of joy and worship built a barrier, if you would, in that place. Well, I believe that an angel held his hand back. That's what I believe. Yes, because in the angel of the Lord encamps around them that fear him, and, and the fear of the Lord is really the beginning of not only wisdom, but it helps us to to love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, and strength. Uh, Carrie, we're out of time right now. 
but you have one revelation after another after another. Uh, the rest of the week, have you ever seen the series of books, uh, uh, Learn Hebrew for Dummies, uh, Learn the Computer for Dummies? Could you teach how to learn how to worship God for dummies the rest of the week? No, I, I, I can't believe I said that, but I want you to get his CD series. He has a better title. It's called The Power of Worship. Four CDs available for a gift of $30. Call it right today. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697, 1-800-447-2697. Kerry Kirkwood will allow you, I mean, if I've ever, people say to me, Sid, what is the key for healing? What is, uh, you, you've interviewed so many people, first of all, uh, Receiving things from God is not based on a formula. But if you forced me to give you the key for healing, I would say, be a worshiper of God. Carrie Kirkwood, what would you say? I would have to agree with that because there's so many things that are connected to worship, not only uh, that when we're in the presence of God, that he speaks to his words of knowledge, understanding. There's a creative ideas for inventions. Uh, there's something about when we love the Lord, uh, it, is a, it is a covenant sign. Worship is a covenant sign that, that we belong to him. And so when worshipers make better husbands and wives, and it just causes the peace of God to be in a home. Well, let's, t- uh, let's talk about you. Uh, how has worship helped your immediate personal family? Well, I was... Uh, Diane and I, we, we, my wife, we mix worship along with intercession. We just start worshiping and blessing and honoring the Lord and giving thanks unto him. And then in the middle of that, we'll, there's starting to be intercession. And so we'll worship and we'd start praying over our children. And we'd claim Isaiah 54, that our children are taught of the Lord. Great peace be upon him. And we thank the Lord for it. Not just, you know, claiming that verse, but we would worship with that verse. And then I've seen my son, who is um, who's a contractor in Dallas, Texas. He would, uh, who we really wanted to see him uh, moving more into spiritual things. And now he's calling me a couple of times a week and said, "Dad, I just had, I was just going down the road and and I had this thought of the Lord that gave me and and this creative idea." And so uh, he's hungry for the Word now, and he's he's asking me about you know uh, you know. How do I uh, get prosperity from the Lord? He said, but it's not a prosperity of money, but I want to have the prosperity of soul. He got revelation about about what it means to have a prosperous soul. And so we've just seen our family. Uh, how would worship help if uh, a family is divided? The uh, husband's about ready to leave the wife. The children are in rebellion. How would that work? Well, we know, first of all, that that when... That, that worship is a communication before God. And many homes are divided because uh, we're very selfish, and that's what divides. I've, been, I've, I've counseled in marriage uh, as a pastor for over 30 years, and I tell you, most of the issues are selfishness. And when a person starts worshiping the Lord, when I mean totally unabandoned, where they're not just singing songs and calling it worship, that, that they lose this selfishness, and they become you know, tender in their heart, and then they want to communicate 
not only with God, but with one another. It changes the atmosphere of the home because complaining is the antithesis or the opposite of worship. And people complain about one another. They blame one another. But worship is all about having a focal uh, identity with God, whereas when we start blaming one another, the attention and the focal point is upon our own self. But, but, But wait a second. If the blame is warranted, shouldn't we do it? Well, if the blame is warranted, then what we do, we just talk to the Father about it, and it creates an openness in the, in the other person's heart to where that they're willing to hear it. Because if you know, we speak the truth in love, that you may grow thereby. And so, if so, so what you're saying is you don't gossip about the problem to your best friend. You don't blast your spouse. You talk to the Father. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Exactly. Because marriage was originally, uh, you know, formed and, and uh, made by God. I mean, he's the originator, inventor of marriage. And so why go to a friend, next-door neighbor, a buddy at work who knows nothing about it, and we tell him the problem, we magnify the problem, and then they can't tell us anything. So, But when we go back to the original manufacturer, inventor of marriage, which is God himself, and we, we begin to say, you know, to him, Lord, I'm bringing my marriage before you, and we just start giving thanks unto him for the marriage that we that we're looking to have, thanking him for the marriage I want to have, and it formulates a picture in, a, uh, in our mind as what God's saying. Here's what marriage looks like, and when worship uh, gets in, uh, you know in balance and gets uh, in parallel harmony with with the picture that God gives us for marriage, that our heart is changed first towards our spouse, and we win them over simply because of the love. Carrie, uh, you you talked about a picture in your mind. How impo- from the scriptures? How important is it? It sounds to me like you actually see a picture of this, or or do you just uh, proclaim it? What, 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 explain that to me. Well, when when I'm worshiping the Lord and I'm no longer focusing on the problem, because sometimes people come in and they got their laundry list of of, uh, you know, things they want God to do as if he is some sort of celestial butler. And so if God's going to hear me, according to, as I stated earlier, uh, on you know, there in John nine thirty one, if a worshiper, God hears me, then I need to be a worshiper, and I come in worship, and in the process of that, kind of like the, the king invited Esther to come in, I, I feel that the Lord just invites me to come into his throne room, and there in, the, in that moment, I feel the release that I can ask him for the things that I have on my heart. But my focus is not upon the problem, and my uh, you know, just mind is not just consumed with the problem, but my mind and my heart is now towards worship in that moment, because worship is going to be what we do eternal. My problem may be temporary. And so I want to focus on the eternal things, and because the Bible says what you see is temporal, that which you don't see is eternal. So when I focus on what I can't see, then the Lord gives me something to see, which is a picture of what a godly marriage can be or a family or, or a solution to the problem. Uh, on yesterday's broadcast, uh, I, I was kidding, but, uh, you know, these, they have these whole series of books, uh, uh, Learn a Foreign Language for Dummies, Learn How to Work a Computer for Dummies. If you were to be designing a book, would you teach the rest of this week uh, what is worship 
from God's perspective, describe worship, and describe step-by-step how you do it. Mm -hmm. Well, Psalms 141 tells us that, um, let the lifting up of my hands be as the evening sacrifice. Now, in a Jewish idiom, we would understand, they would understand what this means. For us who were raised in a Jewish culture, we don't understand that. But there were three sacrifices that went on in Israel every day, 9 o'clock in the morning, 12 noon, and then 3 o'clock. And so the priests would hold their hands up until the sacrifice was completely consumed, which from 9, 12, and, and 3 would have been about three hours. So the lifting of the hands was a sign of, here's my sacrifice, would you receive it? We know in Romans 12, it says, present your bodies, the living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable expectation of service, or some translation says worship. So that, that happened 9 o'clock, uh, 12 o'clock, and 3 o'clock. Well, Jesus, we know it was crucified at precisely 3 o'clock, the time of the evening sacrifice. And every priest was to hold their hands up, so it was so prophetically fulfilled that when Jesus was crucified, his hands were lifted up because he was the only priest that was pure that could oversee his own sacrifice and still have a sacrifice. He was not only presenting another sacrifice, he was the sacrifice. So in worship, when my hands are lifted up, I'm, I'm what, fulfilling what the Revelation says, we are a kingdom of priests. I am responsible over my own sacrifice that to offer the Lord, and there's times my hands just stay up for a good while, you know, because I'm saying, here it is, Lord, I'm, I'm offering, I'm giving it unto you. And then I see also that... Uh, you know, so many, uh, it does say in Scripture to lift holy hands to God. Uh, do you believe that is the meaning behind lifting up holy hands to God? Yeah, because it's releasing unto Him. It's not, you know, as just a point of surrender, as some people say. I don't have to have someone stick a gun in my back for me to put my hands in the air. It is a holy, uh, totally giving, here's my sacrifice. Let, let it be like incense coming up before you, O Lord. And your sacrifice is actually uh, what you're doing with your body. You are, uh, you are like almost reenacting what the high priest did uh, when the sacrifice was, was lifted up. Exactly. Well, Hebrews 13 and verse 15 says, Through him, and is speaking of Jesus, Through him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit. Now, the word fruit is, means the outward expression of something planted on the inside. So let be the, the outward expression of what you've planted on the inside, giving thanks unto the Lord. So we're saying through him or through Jesus. Well, we, we can look back in Psalms 22, verse 3. Oh, thou art enthroned, who inhabit the praises of Israel. In other words, the word inhabit, yasha, means to, to sit down upon a throne. When we worship him, we're actually saying, Oh, Lord, would you come to your throne and judge my enemies? Because that's what a judge or a king would do, would sit on the throne, and they would judge matters. So he said, thou art, thou art enthroned. You come and judge even my enemies as I worship you, as I extend my hands as a priest and saying, here, receive my offering of worship to you. And then you go on to verse 22 right after that. It says, in the midst of the congregation, I will praise thee. Well, this was like a messianic prophecy 
speaking of Jesus, how that, in, that he sits in the congregation, you and I, and he worships the Father through us, because we know the Bible says Christ in us is the, is the, the hope of glory. So Jesus in us, worshiping the Father back. So I just see that it's not me just there doing a Sunday morning ritual. Oh, I, I get it, but we're out of time. Worship is not the thing that happens uh, somewhere just before the announcements in the message on a Sunday morning. Worship is a lifestyle. And so I said to Carrie, Carrie, teach me worship, like the book uh, where you study different aspects of the computer for dummies. Let's do a worship for dummies. And you started out saying about the Hebrew meaning behind lifting up holy hands. But let's start the basic. Uh, Someone goes into their uh, living room. It's early in the morning, and they want to worship God. What should they do? Well, no, first of all, that, that that the Lord is inviting them in. It's not about about the will of God. And you just like so, so you don't you don't feel that that's a uh, a a choice as much as a call. Exactly, because he's he's calling us, you know, into that. And as I'd said earlier, like like Esther came before the king, but then it was the king extending the scepter that says, "Come on in here, Esther." And there, when she was before him, she caught his heart and attention. There was. There was uh, the love that was that drew the, that her in there that the king had for her, and then after that she could begin to, uh, as we celebrate Purim, she could tell about the plot that was against her people and so on like that. But, but, but she, she had a choice. She she had free will. She did not have to go to the king for him to hold out the scepter. She could have uh, rolled over in bed and not worshipped God. Is that what you're saying? And worship is not just an is not just only an attitude; it is an expression. Hebrews one says that Jesus is the express image of the Father, and yet we find that Jesus worshipped. He would get alone in the, in the garden, and he would worship, and he would always be telling, teaching the disciples that we're to to worship the Lord God with all of our heart, mind, and strength. And so we know that that it involves a physical expression. It involves a heart expression. It involves a spiritual expression. Oh, tell me, speaking of a physical expression, tell me about the time you were at a meeting of young people uh, and you felt the Lord asked you to dance. Are you a dancer? (laughs) Well, no, I don't have much rhythm at all. (laughs) So for me to do that, it was definitely a sacrifice. Tell tell me about it. I was at a youth camp and... uh, uh, I was one of them. I was probably 17 to 18 years old. And uh, I was like most everybody else. I was enjoying the music because the music was good. And and I was more of an observer at that because I just loved to listen to what they were doing. And I felt the overwhelming sense of the love of God just flood my heart. And I felt the prompting of the Lord put in my heart and mind. And he says, I want you to dance before me like David did when the Ark of the Covenant was being brought back into Jerusalem, and David danced with the idea that it didn't matter who, who saw him or what. That, that had to be terrific peer pressure against you doing that. Oh, yeah, because these kids were around me, and some of them, you know, looked totally out of it. And uh, so, I, I, so I said, I will do it, Lord. I'll do it for you. 
And so I just stepped out kind of in the aisle there and started dancing. And D- Did you close your eyes? Tell me the truth. No, I didn't. Uh, I, I, oh, yeah, you're a brave soul. <laughs> I, I didn't want to make sure I run over something. So I didn't have to, what people call dancing in the Spirit. Was I totally in the Spirit? I know I felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit, but I was totally my own will and choice that I did it because I wanted to bless the Lord. And when I started doing it, I mean, these young people, there probably about 150 of them, uh, when they saw that, at first of all, they thought a little strange, and then gradually something began to come over them, and they began to, different ones, one at a time started doing that, and the whole meeting changed to where it, it moved from observing worship to where that we were a sound, that we were an instrument, like the Holy Spirit playing the strings upon our heart and or blowing the trumpet through our own mouth, that we became an instrument touched by the Spirit of God. So, as you talked about raising hands, uh, dancing, is that all part of uh, uh, worship for dummies? (laughs) Yeah, well, those are expressions, it sure is. In fact, we can find uh, in Scripture where that, about the clapping of the hands, he teaches my hands to war and my fingers to fight. And so we find even in the Old Testament times that they would even clap their hands as a gesture towards their enemy. So part of worship is... What do you mean a gesture towards their enemy? Well, they would clap their hands like just at their enemy as a way of uh, not clapping for them, but it was a gesture of saying uh, that we have power and authority over you. It's kind of like you... you that time that they threw the, the shoe at President Bush, you know, as a... As a so it's almost mocking the enemy. Exactly, yes. There you go. Oh, I'm going to do a lot of clapping from now on, but go ahead. So clapping is, is, is much more than... As a matter of fact, let's just do that right now. I don't want to miss this wonderful opportunity to worship God and to mock the enemy. Okay, Carrie, go ahead. I just couldn't resist. Well, the, the Bible, you know, the Bible talks about, uh, remember Jehoshaphat, and he was coming out, and the, the enemies of Israel was coming against him. And, and God tells Jehoshaphat, very unconventional, it's not the typical warfare, how they'd all line up and have spear and shield, but he says, I want you to put the singers and the worshipers out front, and, and you can go back in that and see that part of that was the processional of dancers and and those who are thanked and praised and blessed and honored the Lord. So here they're marching in front of the army and worshiping and thanking the Lord for what he's done, what he's going to do, and they're dancing before the Lord. And the enemy sees them coming at them, like, what are these people doing? And don't they know what we're going to do to them? But when they did that and honored the Lord first, then God, the Bible says God set ambushments against the enemy, and they all began to flee and kill one another. So worship is, is a an extension of, of a strategy of the Spirit of God that says that we can confront our enemies not by focusing on them, but by focusing on God. When we, when we exalt the name of the Lord, then he, he comes and he, he'll deal with our enemies because we're not dealing with flesh and blood. We're dealing with principalities and powers in the air. And the very issue in heaven was over worship when Lucifer... Who, who wanted worship to be got directed towards him, and because of the pride in his heart, was cast out of heaven. And you can find in Revelation where the last war is going to be over the issue of worship, the first and the last war, 
We even see that that there would there will be worshipers that of the beast that are being marked. We call it the you know the mark of the beast, and so they're being marked. And so worship is not just an issue that well I like the song and you know and I like the singing and if they don't sing the song I like I'm not going to worship. Well, that means that that we don't understand what worship is when we have revelation of the Lamb of God and what He's done in our life. There's something that comes up out of us that is holy. And in the byproduct of that, he'll cause our enemies to have to step aside. Uh, tell me about how worship affects people's finances. Give me a story. Well, I, I've, uh, I can tell you a number of times over the years that my wife, Diane, and I, when we would have a financial need, and instead of just you know looking at the problem and rehearsing the problem over and over, we just start worshiping the Lord God, uh, and we, one of the compound names for God, uh, that he is Jehovah Jireh. We would say, you know, in Texas, Jireh. But he's Je- it's really in Hebrew, Yira, but I'll let you do the Texas twang. Go ahead. <laughs> Jehovah Yireh. So he is, the, he is the Lord God who is our provider, which was the name that when Abram was walking up there to offer his son Isaac, he declared that, that the Lord God is going to provide for us. And so we would start worshiping the Lord. Oh, Father, you are the Lord our God, who neither slumbers nor sleeps, who keeps your covenant promise. We exalt you and worship you, O God. You are the Lord of hosts. And so we just declare you that you are our provider. And it's amazing, without mentioning needs to anyone, we would just get checks in the mail of people saying, Oh, I was just thinking of you the other day, and the Lord just put on my heart and, and write a check. And so when we look to him as the author and the finisher of our faith, instead of looking for someone else to be our, our source, a resource, because that means we worship or we honor them, but when we give the Lord the first fruits, the first rights to the problem, the first rights to worshiping and honoring him, then somehow or another he miraculously comes in because he has an ear to those who are worshipers of him. Well, if you've enjoyed this brief teaching by Carrie Kirkwood, you are going to love the four-CD set called The Power of Worship. And I'll tell you the effect it's going to have. It's going to cause you to realize how to worship, to realize that if you want revelation for yourself, if you want breakthroughs for yourself, if you want the healings and the provision It'll teach you how to enter into deep worship and experience the presence of God. And by the way, you don't need music to worship God. That's what's so wonderful. The four CD series, The Power of Worship, available for a gift of $30. Call or write today. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697. 1-800-447-2697. Carrie Kirkwood, we're talking about worship, and uh, I'm reminded, I believe it's in Romans uh, 9, and it says we owe a debt of gratitude to the Jewish people because in most Bible translations it says because of them is the service, but that word service means the worship. Yes. And out of curiosity, take us back. What was original worship like? 
of the first people that 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 understood to worship God. What was that like? Well, that there were they they didn't they weren't worshiping to get something. They were worshiping because they had revelation of Him. And the whole thing has been reversed. He he's the uh, give me God. <laughs> exactly. In other words. If I worship God, then he's going to give some. Just like in the, with the tithes and the offerings. We, people teach so much. Oh, if you give this, then God will give that. But yet, in, with 2 Corinthians 9, the Bible says, it is God who gives seed to the sower. And if we see that worship is, is like seed, then seed, then worship comes from the Father, and he gives it to us so that we can sow it back into the heavenlies. And then out of that relationship, then there are a lot of good things come. But if, our, we, if we worship with the idea of getting something, it's like that we're, we're, we're our, our mind and heart is upon what we're getting and not setting our affections on things above. We're instead setting it on things here on the earth. And so it's, it's, uh, it's no longer a thing to where we have to coax people to worship. It's by the Spirit of the Lord leading us into worship. Now, this was before we had all these Levitical choirs and musical instruments and temple worship. It was just, God, you're so magnificent. I can't help but worship you. Yes, yes. Well, that they, they sang what was called the, the Song of the Lord. Psalms 98 said, sing unto the Lord a new song. And it was the Hallel, which, we, which means to give a spontaneous song that had never been written. So it would just be the Song of the Lord that people, uh, there was no music that was uh, written on, on lead sheets. There was no notes. It was simply... Uh, as they just, the song of the Lord came up out of their heart, and they were singing a love song to the Lord. And so worship was, was not something that people sat in a church and, and just watched somebody else sing for them, and it was not done for them as an observer, but it was an engagement between the bridegroom and the bride of singing and back and forth, dialoguing, loving one another. Uh, you told me before we went on the air that literally God marks worshipers. Explain that. Yes, he does. Uh, I can give you the parable there in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, when Jesus is giving the parable of the wedding feast, and, and he's talking about you know those that rejected him and so on like that, and then he went out this, and gathered everybody up. And there's one comes in after the king comes down and he's overlooking the wedding guest, and he sees a man there without a wedding garment. And he sees him, and he said, friend, how come you came in here without a wedding garment? Well, from, a, from our perspective, the non-Jewish perspective, is that we see that sometimes and say, well, how ungrateful. You invited him, and then you don't like the way he's dressed. But the culture then, every Jew would understand that, was that when a king gave a, a wedding uh, reception, that there, the attendants at the door would give them a wedding garment. And they would put the wedding garment over the clothes that they had wore. So everyone in there had the same identity. And usually on that, on that wedding garment, there was like we would say today, like a coat of arms. Or, but there was an identity uh, that spoke of who the king was and how great he was and all of his conquering quests and all of that. So everyone in there that was, worship, that was come to the, the feast that had this wedding garment on was there to honor for his son. But this one guy says, you know, I want to come in. I want, the, I want the feast that you have. I want all the things that you provide for me. I want the protection that every king would provide for, for people living under his domain. 
but I do not want your identity. I do not want to wear your garment. And yet we see in Isaiah 61, where one of the things, the Messianic prophecy is when that he said, the, anoint, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me and he's anointing me. And you go down to where he says to bind up the brokenhearted and proclaim the, the year of Jubilee. And then he says to give a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. And so that garment of praise, I believe, is that wedding garment that identifies us as a worshiper. So when we are worshiping, there is an identifying mark upon us that says that I, I belong to him. I identify with his kingdom. I identify with everything that he does and his authority. And by me worshiping, that means that I'm bowing and giving my authority to him. And bowing is an issue that is huge because when Jesus there in Matthew, the fourth chapter, was led up into the high place, and there he confronted Satan himself, and with the last test of that was that Satan said to Jesus, I'll give you all of this that you see if you will not just bow, if you'll not just worship me, but if you will bow down. Because bowing means to relinquish one's authority, and it's a high level of submission. So when we t- But we, we don't see that today anywhere. We don't see Christians bowing down. Uh, if anything, we see the opposite. Oh, yeah, arms folded, you know, hands in the pocket. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which means the fact that I'm, I'm here just to uh, observe. I'm there just to see. Uh, how does what you're teaching uh, about the, being, having a sign as a worshiper fit in with the parable of the five wise virgins and the five foolish? The wise had oil. Yes. And the, and the, and the, when it came time, because they were all waiting for the celebration— for the shout that the bridegroom comes. Is shout part of worship? Yes, it is. Shout unto the Lord with a voice of triumph. Okay. The Bible says a shout of the king is in your midst. And so when we shout to the Lord, it is a sound of victory that the Holy Spirit will move upon us. But see, if we're in churches and places to, to where it says we have to be reverential and quiet because this is what the Lord wants. No, it isn't. Read the Bible. The Bible is a worship book. It's all about worshiping the Lamb of God, worshiping the Son of God. Okay, go back to the five wise virgins. How did they get their oil? They went out and they bought it. But what does that mean to you? Well, it means the fact that there was some effort put into it. Remember that the foolish, after they'd all used up their oil, the only difference between those, those ten were that the, the wise carried oil in another vessel. So it wasn't about... I'm just going to, you know, when this is used up, then that's it. But they carried enough. Worshippers are having a replenishing of that. So he says, you have to go and buy oil for yourself. There are some things that we can't get from anybody else, but we have to go get it ourselves. So so we can't have someone else, like our our paid worship leader, do the worshiping for us. Exactly. That's my point totally, is that if you only watch someone worship— then that doesn't make you a worshiper. And the old silly joke is that no more than sitting in a garage makes you a car. Attending a church doesn't make you a worshiper. It's the revelation that you have about him and that invokes that spirit of worship, which means dancing, shouting, you know, clapping of the hands. Tell me about joy, because you say that's one of the benefits of worship. Why is joy so important? Well, joy is not, is not an emotion or feeling, like most people think. 
That's happiness. Happiness is based upon what's happening around me. People are happy if they got a raise and then they're sad when they lose it. But joy is a constant because it comes from the Lord. It's the joy of the Lord, not the joy for the Lord. In other words, the very nature of God is joy. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy. That's what it says in Romans 14. So part of the kingdom of God is joy. And joy means to rejoin yourself, have revelation with God, join him, and I see what he sees, then I have joy. It, is, it, is, it comes out of our spirit, not of our mind, which is happiness and emotion. So I can be going through great trials and testing and still have joy because as a worshiper, that God, God gives us that sense of joy no matter what's happening at the moment. Uh, you know, uh, you you do teaching on uh, the ninety uh, first Psalm about not knowing terror. Explain that. Well, and when he says that the shadow, the overshadowing of the Almighty, that's that presence of God that a worshiper walks in, not just when we're in a church service, but we walk in on a regular basis because we're now. Like the Ark of the Covenant of old, we are the Ark of the Covenant because now he dwells in us, not in just boxes. With, they're covered by gold. And so by that, that we carry worship. We're carriers and couriers of worship. So that means that as we continually refresh that oil that we talked about, continually honor and bless him on a daily basis, there is a covering over our lives that the enemy can't find us there. Uh, you know, there's a Hebrew word, it's kavod. It's a heavy presence of God that when that happens to me, I don't bow down because it's my desire to worship. I'm almost pushed down by the heaviness of God. Exactly. In other words, that's, that's the presence of God. The glory of God is that word, which is so overwhelming that it's the physical part of us that we can't even stand. That's what happened when they were dedicating the temple that the presence of God became so weighty that the kabod of God came upon them to where the Bible says that the priests couldn't even stand up to minister. Their, their physical abilities couldn't resist what was happening in the presence of God. Uh, you say that worship creates uh, a habitation for God. What do you mean by that? Well, I think a habitation meaning uh, an environment, a place we live in. I think it's... Whoa, how would you like the environment of God? How would you like the environment of of the Garden of Eden in your house, in your car, wherever you go. We're talking about worship, and on yesterday's broadcast, you were talking about uh, worship literally creates a habitation, a dwelling place for God. Would you finish that thought? Well, when we worship, and again, that worship is to bow, to kiss, to love, to adore— so it's not just listening to, to worship music, uh, but as they begin to worship the Lord, then the, the presence of God overshadows and light destroys darkness. And as we worship the Lord, then that creates a, a light habitation, a light of glory, and it pushes back the darkness. Uh, you can worship in the home and you can worship around the neighborhood and it begins to set a parameter against the enemy because Worship is the very thing that Lucifer wanted to have, but he couldn't have. And so we, the saints of God, are the redeemed of the Lord, and we carry the song of the redeemed that no one else can sing. And so when we worship the Lord, we literally magnify the Lord, and then everything else has to shrink and come under the submission of his presence. 
I, I've seen so many people that go through tragedy in their life, such as uh, a, a wife whose husband has died, and they grieve for weeks, months, even years. How would worship help them? Well, I remember one particular uh, a woman that had lost a uh, close uh, family relative, and uh, they couldn't get past it, and she was asking God why, and just all of the reasonings, and you know, blaming one thing, and then, you know, how the devil get in all that thing. And so in a worship time where that the Holy Spirit just took her to where he was showing her how to worship the Father, loving him, trusting God. And at that moment, she was caught up into the glory of God in such a way, and she could see by revelation that that family member that she had been grieving over wasn't grieving at all, but they were enjoying the very presence of God that she got a small glimpse, glimpse of in worship. And in a moment, from one just moments of, of grieving before that, and in t- after a moment of worship, she was completely set free and never did carry that heavy thing again, that, that, that feeling of just rejection and, and why me, God? I, and tell me real briefly about uh, the, the, the young kid that was delivered at the demonic that was uh, sticking his tongue out. Oh, yeah. I was in a counseling session, and, and the whole family was in there, and they couldn't deal with it. And, of course, the husband was cursing the, the mother and the mother, the dad. I mean, it was just a whole uh, just convoluted mess that, as a counselor, I couldn't wrap my brain around what was going on, and I was confused. I mean, I felt the demonic presence there. And all I could do was just start singing the song of the Lord. Lord, you're worthy of all praise. I bless your name. There's none greater than you, O Lord God, who is like unto you in all the earth. Blessing and honor and praise, O God. And as I started singing that song, it just like cold water fell on them and extinguished that anger. And then they just kind of sat there. I don't know if they were stunned at me or what was happening, but that, that demonic presence left, and then I could begin to share with them out of the Word what was the problem. But it was the presence of God that drew that thing out of there, much like when David, as a young harpist, when Saul had that, that, that demonic, uh, that spirit that came from the Lord that was just tormenting him, and that David began to play, and that spirit lifted. And so worship can lift that thing off of a person like nothing else can. I want you to tell me, A, B, C, for someone listening, they want to get up early every day and worship God. Give me some steps. Well, I think what's the easiest part is that you, we start by just we call praise. And praise is simply that way of saying, I'm just thanking the Lord, bringing into remembrance all the things that God has done over my life. And, you know, salvation is such a great place to start of thanking the Lord. I thank you, Lord, for my health. I thank you for the times of healing. And as you begin to do that, the Holy Spirit kicks in. And I say kick in, I mean the fact now the anointing, because you've invited the Holy Spirit to join you in your, in your temple, your, your spiritual temple there, and now he can worship through you. And he begins to just whisper things, hey, say it like this, and here's something you honor the Lord. And the next thing is there will be scriptures coming to you, and when we use the scriptures to speak back to the Lord himself, and, and it, it moves from just the thanking him for what he's done, now it's worship is, is loving on him, not about what he's done or going to do, but just loving him for who he is. 
Whereas Isaiah came into the temple in Isaiah 6, and he said the presence, the glory of God filled, that his train filled the temple. And then he said he saw the glory of God. It wasn't in focus upon what hadn't been happening or what needed to happen. It was just simply the focal attention was on the goodness and the greatness of God. And so when we become overwhelmed by that, there's something that then we're anointed to worship. We're no longer trying to just, you know, come out of a routine or a road of what we should say to him. But now we're anointed to worship. We're saying and things about him and loving him and adoring him in ways that we never thought before because we're now anointed to worship, not just appointed to worship. There's people that are appointed to worship like music leaders and, and, uh, and uh, worshipers and that. They're appointed, but when they get anointed, then it kicks into a whole other level and the Spirit of God, the moving and the Holy Spirit starts happening. People are healed. Demons are driven out because at the very presence of God, no unclean thing shall be able to stay there. I've seen people get so uncomfortable in that kind of setting where they couldn't hardly stand it because he comes and he sets among us and works with us. And then as we begin to worship, then I would just have a dialogue with the Lord and just write down some things. What is he saying back to you? Because he's not, he's not only hearing what you say to him, but now he says some things back to you. You begin to capture the thoughts that come to your mind because in that setting of worship, that there's a, he, he begins to say things that are out of this world. He begins to give you creative ideas. He may say things about you that heal your heart to say, you know, that time that you, when you were rejected, he said, let me just put my hand on that and heal that hurt. And so those kind of things happening just in that one-on-one time during the day. Uh, tell me about, speak just a little bit towards declaring God's attributes, why that's so important. Because the ancients believed, those, those Old Testament writers, they, they saw that whatever they declared his name to be, that God manifested himself in that way. Like when they declared himself to be Jehovah Rapha, you are the Lord thy God who heals me, then he would declare himself in that way. Or you're Jehovah Shammah, you're the Lord God who is with me now, you're present with me. And so when they would begin to worship him as those names are, then he would manifest and interact with them in the same way. And I think I would like to take the next few minutes and have you worship God as if you were alone. What would you be doing, Carrie? Well, I would, I would have a picture of the Lord. And I, I have this picture many times out of Revelations 11 that I, that I began with. And it says, there was given a measuring rod and to John, and he says, someone said, this was the angel saying to him, rise up and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship in it. Leave out the outer court, which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the nations, which we believe Joel 3 says, the nations that try to divide Israel's land. Don't even measure them. They're not, they're not part of this covenant. And so when I see that the Lord is measuring me as a worshiper, and he measures me for the idea of wanting to add to me. Or you ha do you have the capacity for me to pour in? So when that happens, I just start thinking of him. And I just start declaring unto him, There's none like you, O Lord, my God, in all the earth, who does wondrous things, blessing and honor and glory to you, who sits on the throne 
You've provided a table in your presence, a table for me in the midst of my enemies. I will eat, I will rejoice, I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You're my God and King. I bow my heart before you, for there's none other that does what you do. Oh, I'm waiting, I'm longing, I'm looking for that shout when you say you're returning for me, you're returning for me, and I have that marriage supper. I can eat the supper with the lamb and commune with you, O Lord my God, for worthy, worthy is the Lord most high, who keeps covenant and mercy with me. I bow and say to you, come quickly, Lord Jesus. I long, I love, I desire for you. I can't wait for those that are listening to get your four CD series, The Power of Worship. There's a revelation on this for you to become a worshiper of God. You will have your breakthrough through this worship. You will get new revelation through this worship. You will be healed. You'll have your uh, needs provided for the four-CD series, The Power of Worship, for a gift of $30. Call it right today. It was God's purpose from the beginning for all nations to become one in Yeshua, Messiah Jesus, to break down the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile. When Jewish spiritual DNA merges with the new covenant Christian DNA, there will be what Paul called life from the dead. That's why Sid Roth's website is loaded with cutting-edge articles and teaching about the one new man. Log on to SidRoth.org today. To hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural, visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. O-R-G. To receive a complimentary copy of our bi-monthly teaching newsletter, materials catalog, or information about becoming Mishpucha or Chalitzim, write to me, Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. To place a credit card order, call anytime, 1-800-447-2697. For all other calls, the number is 704-943-6500. That's 704-943-6500. For a CD of this week's broadcast, send a donation to Sid Roth. That's S-I-D-R-O-T-H, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. 